The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And let's get our laugh on with the highly anticipated Duff McKagan joke of the week. Hey, uh, Chris Jericho. Hope you're doing well. Duff McKagan here. Hope everybody out there is doing well. Listen, a colorblind friend of mine said that all apples are yellow. I told him, that's bananas. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Yeah, I don't know about that one. It's all in the delivery. And Duff is amazing as always. Uh, looking forward to seeing Duff and Guns N' Roses on the road this summer, starting June 1st in Abu Dhabi, if you're in that area of the world. Then they're heading to Europe and North America before the huge Power Trip Festival this October in Indio, California. GNR and Iron Maiden are the headliners on Friday night of that festival. And speaking of live, Fozzie's hitting the road again as well, going out with Ugly Kid Joe. We start next Thursday, May 4th in L.A. at the Regent Theater. We're in Ventura at the Majestic Theater on Friday, May 5th. Uh, Saturday, May 6th, we're at the KUPD Rock Festival in Phoenix. May 7th at the Hard Rock in Las Vegas. Go to FozzyRock.com to see all the dates. We're going all throughout the country. Houston, Dallas, Oklahoma City, Kansas City, Green Bay, Indianapolis, Atlanta, Tampa. So many more great cities and venues before we close it all out on June 5th in Destin, Florida. Full list of tour dates, ticket information, and VIP meet and greet info at FozzyRock.com. Come check us out, and we'll see you on the road. And today on the show, I got Stokely Hathaway, smooth-talking manager of the firm from AEW. He's a really interesting guy, as you're about to hear. We talk about his wrestling journey from his days in the indies at Evolve and MLW to his short run at NXT to how he finally found a home in AEW. He breaks down the program he did with MJF when MJF came back as the Joker. Uh, he talks about climbing the ladder in that match and winning for MJF. And the one thing he asked Ethan Page to do for him in that moment, Stokely talks about how he met Max on the Indies and some of the stuff they did together before AEW. He talks about managing Jade Cargill when he first signed and what it was like working with her. His theater background, trying to make it in the world of stand-up comedy. He shares the story behind his name, his gimmick, what inspires his promos. So much to discuss with Stokely, and he's here, right here, right now, on Talk is Jericho. All right, so we have been working on talking to the illustrious Stokely Hathaway for uh, a few weeks, and he's here. First of all, one of my all-time favorite wrestling names. Really? Yeah. Thank I mean, you. It sounds Thank you. like um, 
like a rich English like lord in a murder mystery, <laughs> a Sherlock Holmes murder mystery. Yeah. Well, well, the funny thing is, uh, the the Stokely part. A lot of people think it came from Stokely Carmichael, but it actually came from Stokely from Mint Condition. Uh, Who's Stokely Carmichael? Stokely Carmichael was like a civil rights activist. Gotcha. So, gotcha. which I don't mind the comparison, but it's right. really from Stokely from Mint Condition and Hathaway is from Donnie Hathaway. So, <laughs> you know, they're both from black culture, but Mint Condition, they still do tours and whatnot. But so it's a band. Yes. Ah. They, they were a big band in the early 90s. They were a part of the. I would say New Jack Swing era. Like the Boys to Men type stuff? Yes, gotcha. yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there was a guy called Stokely in that. Yes, and I actually had the pleasure of meeting him years ago at my old job. He was doing uh, like a concert there, and so I saw him backstage because I was working the event, and so I gave him the brief, uh, the brief story about my name, and he was just blown away because, <laughs> you know, it was like this little guy who's like, yeah, you know, like I'm in wrestling, and he just yeah. couldn't, couldn't believe it. It's really cool to me because I remember even like one of your first big promos, you were really dropping like a lot of kind of black culture references. Like, um, I can't remember, what was, the, what was the show that you referenced? Living Single. Living Single. Queen Latifah. Ah, yes. Living yes. Single. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Which I will say is a ripoff. Well, no, they, Friends was a ripoff of Living Single. Living really? Single. Yes. Yes. Living Single was probably, I would say, the first show that portrayed single black Americans like living in in New York City so that was the vibe and then all of a sudden friends came along so ah, yeah. gotcha yeah. yeah I remember you were talking about that like the one week when you showed up almost like a like in a Black Panther uniform yes. and that sort of a thing yeah. and it's a kind of a cool vibe I mean we kind of had that in the late 90s mm -hmm. with um what was the rock's original group with, with nation of domination Nation of domination yeah but it's kind of a, a, like a more modern vibe of that i kind of i like that kind of thank you you know that kind of vibe you bring to the table when you're playing this character i appreciate it we we did a panel last week in atlanta it was me jade will hobbs ricky and willow and we actually talked about the importance of black culture and us being us mm -hmm. and that was my way of paying homage to the people that i looked up to you know like like fred hampton for for example so it's the cool thing about aew is i am allowed to pay tribute and you know and pay homage to you know whoever i want to like you brought up the nation of domination like my gear was based off of farouk mm -hmm. and i don't think i could do that anywhere else it's so cool like when you think about that time frame of the of nation domination like farouk starts out as kind of like this weird egyptian character yeah. <laughs> but then becomes like you know black power farouk that's actually the perfect name for the second version yes. of that character yes right? absolutely absolutely because yeah. wrestling should be people all different from the others instead of all kind of blending in which i yes. find in our previous jobs that kind of is that way a lot of times guys are all kind of painted with the same brush we don't we have a little bit more of an element of that here like like for example it's got away from that but like japanese performers here in aw they're not portrayed as japanese performers it wasn't yes. too many years ago when there was like you know the the string like ding 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 yeah. ding, ding like even funaki or something like takesha is is a, like when i do promos with him it's like you speak english man that's the idea yes. it's not like you don't understand english which characters kind of there is stereotypical characters of, of different you know different nationalities or whatever i find aw is a little bit more 
open maybe is yes. that the word i want to use i would say diverse it, it's diverse you're not yeah. you're not placed in a box you mm. are allowed to be yourself and it's been fantastic so tony khan was really excited when you became available what was kind of your your conversations with him to get into aw in the in the, in the first place well so I was available, and then Dax is one of my good friends. And, oh, okay. so, and so we were talking back and forth, and then he sent me a screenshot because he was having a conversation with Tony, and the screenshot was Tony just being like, let's f go in all caps with like 37 exclamation marks. <laughs> Which so pretty much sums up Tony Khan. Yes, yes. If you need like, what's Tony Khan in three words, let's f Yes, yes, exactly. So that was the beginning of, of the talks of me coming in. And then we didn't meet face to face until I would say double or nothing. And I remember I met you and you were like, just who is this guy backstage? Because I just walked in and, and half of the people knew me. And so I, I was not signed. I was just backstage. And what city it, was that? This was Vegas. Vegas, right, right. Vegas. And I debuted and it was a handshake deal. And, you know, it just became official, like, I would say, like a few hours after that. Because you were originally brought in to be with Jade. Is yes. That correct? Yes. Right. So what was the idea with that? So the idea was it was, I wouldn't say temporary. It's, it's interesting because a lot of people thought that Jade and I was this long-term plan. Right. And the idea, which... I take a little bit of responsibility for actually I take a lot of responsibility for it. It wasn't really conveyed the fact that when I was with Jay, the idea was I was a car artist. Like I was a scammer. Yeah. You had the cards. Yes. Right. So I was using everyone to get to this position in the firm. And obviously, you know, after I would say, uh, God, what was the last pay-per-view? The one where Max returned. Yes, were yes, yes. Ladder match? Yes, yeah. and after All Out, obviously, plans changed. Right. So, but the Jade storyline was actually the beginning of, like, the next chapter. Gotcha. So that was supposed to be, like, kind of the, your entrance into the company. Yes, yes. And then you're kind of putting together your whole your whole army here. Of course, Because as we know, in AW, it's a very faction Based. friendly faction based yeah. <laughs> company yeah. so let's talk about that um when you came in because it was a huge deal obviously max had been gone for three months whatever the hell it was yeah ladder match happens yeah. out comes all these individuals he's in the yeah. devil mask and then chaos ensues so tell us kind of what was the build-up to that day because i'm sure it's quite secretive well it was very secretive i mean I felt bad. I wouldn't say lying, but I knew for a certain period of time that, that Max was coming back. Because you so and Max had a relationship from the past, yes, which we'll talk yes. about. So you had worked together for before and prior. Companies. Yes, on the indies. So right. I knew that he was coming back, but it's it's not up to me to tell other people. Sure, what should you? Yeah. You know, like what's happening. And plus, I was sworn to secrecy and like I wanted this this act to play out and i'm sure as you know you tell one person they tell this person and everyone knows That's so right. no one else in the group knew until i would say this was maybe a few minutes after we did the um the ladder deal wait a minute so no one else knew who was kind of no. behind the scenes for no this? no no what, what would you say if, if they asked you <laughs> I'll just go, oh, like, I don't know. <laughs> just little old me, like, I have no clue, you know? And uh, afterwards, we went into this giant, I wouldn't say, um, I guess it was like a mini tour bus, and Max was hidden 
in the tour bus, and that's when everyone else found out what the plan was. Yeah. So what was the reactions of the different guys? I know I've talked to Lee Moriarty about this, but did guys kind of know, or was it just like, oh? I think you hear rumors, and, and you never know. I think some people had a hunch, but it wasn't for sure, right? Because it's wrestling. Plans change. You, you know, you may hear this, you may hear that, but I don't think it was really official until they actually saw Max himself. Coming out. Yeah. So, and obviously, you know, I don't want to get too far in the weeds in this, but you're obviously, that's probably one of the biggest moments of your career, if not the biggest moment, because everybody joins up yes. together. It helps Max win the ladder match, which makes him the number one contender. Yes. Beat the crap out of everybody else, and this yeah. is probably a pretty big high point in yeah. your in your night. Yeah. Which about three hours later, <laughs> yes. yes, it did not work out that way. Yeah. I mean, I won't lie. I would say the biggest thing that I was concerned with was actually climbing the ladder <laughs> just because you know i've never done anything so you like I refresh my memory how that went tell us kind of what all happened and they at the end of that for the finish of that match so basically it was the beat down with everyone from the firm surrounding the ring and then ethan page i uh like i pretty much begged him i said hey you have to hold this ladder for me <laughs> and so he held the ladder and so i climbed up and grabbed the chip so I'd say like maybe a few hours before the pay-per-view, I went up to George and I said, hey, can we please have a rehearsal? And they thought that was crazy. And like, I'm glad we did because there was um, like a special way that I had to prop my knees and legs on the ladder to not tip over because there was a giant chain holding the chip. So if I would have accidentally pushed it or moved a different way, like I would have fallen off the ladder. So well, and here's something too, just to explain. I'm glad you brought this up. You know, you're not a six foot five. You're a normal guy. You I'm know. six four actually. Six so, four actually. Yeah. But people climbing ladders, like if you're putting in a light bulb at your house, it's kind of scary. Yeah. If you're painting or you got to go up to the eaves trough. When you're a wrestler, climbing ladders is just, oh, it's just what we do. Yeah. But for 99.9% of the population, it's a little bit scary. And you mentioned you've never climbed a ladder in a wrestling ring. So, no. of course, you should rehearse it because what you, people don't understand is that f- thing also bounces yes, as the ring moves. is bouncing. And as people are in there, it is exactly. very scary if you've never done it before. Yes, yes. And so, Ethan Page, it's, it's a funny moment now. As soon as I grab the chip, he turns around to pull off his mask. So, the ladder just starts wobbling. <laughs> If they got, they cut to the crowd because I'm just, you know, as fast as possible, just trying to get down the ladder so I don't, you know, fall and off. Another and thing like an idiot. that people don't realize is unhooking the belt, chip, brass ring, whatever's hanging up there. It's not so easy because you got to obviously lock it in there fairly good so it just yes. doesn't randomly fall. Yeah. But when you're standing on top of a ten foot ladder. You know, and, and once again, being only six foot four like you are, <laughs> or maybe four foot six, yeah. you got to climb to the top of the top. Yes. So that thing, like I was watching Will Howes in the last one, we had, he could barely oh, get that God. damn thing yeah. off, and Will is yeah. six four, whatever he is. So yeah. unhooking it is hard. It's good that you had a chance to rehearse that. Yeah, it was a process because I had on gloves as well, so I had mm-hmm. to like you know take off the gloves and put them in my pocket. So it was it was a process, but it was one of those moments to where you know I just like look back at it and it was just insane the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So you come down the ladder, you guys are in the ring, Devil takes his mask off. Yep. Pretty huge moment, right? So and I know how Max how Max thinks, and I'm sure he had so much stuff figured out and plans and ideas and thoughts and all this stuff. And then, of course, the the issue goes down with CM Punk, and CM Punk is hurt, and CM Punk is gone. Mm-hmm. And did it kind of leave you guys out in the cold, so to speak? I guess I didn't view it that way, I guess because I've been trying to get into the habit of looking at things from like a positive perspective yeah. and regardless of you know who was in that position the idea was to go after the world champion um so we still had that opportunity it didn't obviously turn out like the way that most of us wanted it to but it was still an avenue to get things going i mean that's wrestling too right you just got to kind of go with the flow yeah type i mean that's the only way you can ever really survive in this business is to be able to do that right yeah and it was you know it was like a tough few months like trying to figure out what is this group because it wasn't my idea you know i didn't come up with like like the concept like the only thing that i really had input in was like the name and the name is from like a i think they came about in 1999 it was nas foxy brown and az (laughs) and they were called the firm so that's where i got the name from that's great thank you So you take your stuff from pop culture as do i as well yes most of my part most of my stuff yeah, I mean, so, you know, that's that's where my mind was going. But, you know, we were this super serious heel group. And I think you kind of have to just read the room. And I made the conscious decision to go, okay, this isn't working. Let's kind of go into the comedy route. Not full-on comedy, but if you go back and watch, I think you can see where things started to to change for us. And I would say for the better. You kind of had to. Let me just uh, shoehorn this: that the firm was also an '80s supergroup featuring Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin, oh, Paul really? Rogers from Bad Company, and Chris Slade from ACDC. Okay, so okay. there's another firm as well. Okay, now you're teaching me something. <laughs> See, awesome, yeah. With black and white, they yeah. in ivory right here, buddy. Um, and I think that was a good move because I think obviously when you, if you're looking at kind of being Max's uh, heaters in a feud for the world title with CM Punk and MJF. And then when that doesn't work out and we're starting to figure out, you know, we're having tournaments to figure out who the, who the interim yeah. champion was going to be. You guys, once again, went a different route, which was a smart thing to do. And and who were you working with at that point in time where you said it was more of a comedy based? Well, originally we did the Moxley thing. Right. But then Max went his separate way. And yeah. then we we kind of were trying to figure out what was next. And then the plan was for Matt Hardy isaiah and mark quinn to join the firm so Mm. basically it's look at these assholes who have these beloved guys under contract and Mm. then mark quinn got hurt so that was another i would say wrench thrown into the plans where we had to like figure things out but um yeah i looking back at it you know, to your point, you have to just roll with the punches. And like, mm-hmm. I'm glad that things turned out the way they did. Because that was always the idea. It wasn't supposed to be like another pinnacle or a, a Jericho Appreciation Society or something. It was always like Max's hired guns, but yes. you're also your own group as well, right? Yeah. yeah. And like, again, you know, there was this big promo about the firm. And I think there was just so much information that was just put into that. You had to promo. do, you basically had a 10 minute promo, I remember, yeah. right? Yeah. And, 
you know, obviously it didn't go the way that I wanted just because it was, it was a lot of information to like just verbalize. But, you know, I think the biggest thing that didn't really come across was like the hired, Mm. um, hired guns, you know, no pun intended. Mm -hmm. And, and we were just, when Max needed us, we were all together, but aside from that, we were allowed to go our separate ways. And I think the only constant was like, was supposed to have been me, but that was another thing that I felt like we just needed to change as well. Cause I remember talking to you that night. That was a, that was a big responsibility for you because we're not a very talkative company. Yeah. Shall we say I mean, we have, I mean, Max obviously does every week, but Tony's very tight with promo time. Yes. Um, and here you are as the new kid on the block with, from my recall, maybe a 10 minute, it was, I think, I think the original slotted time was six. And like, I think I went like four and a half still. I mean, so four and a half minutes of unadult, uh, uninterrupted uh, promo time. Yeah. So how did you, did you write that obviously all yourself and, and put it all together with anybody's input or. So I was given like lots of, of bullet points. You had to introduce everybody. Yes. Yes. Like these are the things that you have to get uh, um, across. So I had multiple people telling me, you know, you have to say this, you have to say that. So it was kind of my responsibility to just put all of it together. And I had people like looking over it. I think one of the issues was that it kept changing throughout the day right. just because the concept kept changing. So, um, you know, looking back at it, you know, I, I probably just should have kept it to the, the essentials of just three you know bullet points but you know like hindsight is 2020 right, right, right. you know but it was it was a learning experience and i think i think going through that helped me become a better performer sure. in like a weird way because you know being in AEW is like a learning experience and i think that's one thing that fans don't really understand like you can go from company to company but each company is 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 different and so for me i had to learn yeah how the fans respond to things, you know, um, just how things work backstage, you know, like you said, like the timing uh, with like promos and everything else. And like, I think I'm now getting to the point to where I can, like I'm in the groove, right? Like, obviously I'm not perfect, but like I can kind of go into situations and like I have a better handle on it. How was that for you coming in and like kind of your first or second idea and you're doing this promo and, and obviously WWE, the, the promos, they're very more scripted. Yeah. I'm um, sure the promos you did there in NXT or WWE was the same. How was that for you kind of coming with less of a solo? You said you had the bullet points, but it's still now it's completely up to you to give you more freedom or to give you more nerves. Yeah. I think now I, I don't really get n- nervous. I think at that point I was nervous yeah. because I'm, I am so used to having, I guess, um, creative input or like a hand in things. And this concept, like it wasn't, you know, I was glad to be a part of it, but it wasn't my idea. So it was kind of difficult at first for me to just, I would say, put myself into that, into that mm. situation because I've never been the the super serious manager, you know? Ah, okay. And, and I think you have to be self-aware and I think you have to like figure out what works and, and, and what doesn't. And, that not saying that I will never ever be that that type of manager, but at that time, at that place, it just didn't work. You got the crazy eyes that could work either way. You could <laughs> yeah. be the psycho crazy guy or like the the bug eyed kind of comedy crazy guy. Yeah. Remember yeah. I mentioned that to you. I mean, who did yeah. you say you say you got crazy eyes? Oh, this was um, God. This was 
it was one promo I cut and <laughs> this was in NXT and it was like the next week I had like six different producers and agents come up to me and they were like, hey man, like, can you do something about your eyes? And I was like, what? <laughs> and they were like, yeah, you know, it's it's just, you know, they like they get a little big at times and I was like, well, like that's just my eyes. My like, eyes I can't really man. do anything unless I get surgery. And if you want to pay for it, sure. But yeah, yeah. It's been a blessing and a curse. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Let's talk about, uh, we'll go back to more AW in a bit, but let's, as they play uh, the, the, the entrance music testing here at... Two, three, two, two forty-five. It's early, but that's okay. <laughs> so you guys want behind the scenes on talk is Jericho. This is it. Yeah. Um. So let's talk about. Uh, you mentioned your 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 uh, relationship with Max Pryor. So let's we'll talk about your wrestling career before you went to WWE and before you came to AEW because you were actually on the Indies for quite a, quite a few years beforehand. Oh, of course. Um. I would say my career. I wouldn't call it a fluke. Again, I think it's everything is right place, right time. Like I got into wrestling because of my my brother he was a big wrestling fan and i went to grad school like to study theater and so for me it was performing arts like that's you know had my heart set on that and so my thesis i didn't want to write a paper i didn't want to be in a play so i decided to prove that wrestling was an art form so, Interesting. Yeah. So I moved to Philly. I trained to be a wrestler. I think I was there for like six months. Moved um, to Chikara. Okay. So so Claudio, Orange Cassidy, Chuck Taylor, all these guys <laughs> had a hand in like, you know, training me and getting me prepared. And so I moved back to Savannah. I finished my thesis project. And then I went back to New York because I was going back and forth because I was doing um, – like internships at different theaters. So when I moved back, I went, okay, this is it. I'm going to be a a professional actor. And then it kind of just fell into my lap. Like I ended up with Ring of Honor. Ring of Honor is where I actually debuted. So before you go that, so tell me about your thesis. So you finally did write your thesis that wrestling was an art form. Yes. What was your, um, what was your line on that? It's the exact same thing. Theater happens on a a stage. Wrestling happens, or wrestling normally happens, I would say, in the ring, right? And then you talk about production values, the lighting, costume design, the rehearsal process. Everything is just down to, like, the T, just Mm -hmm. like theater. And I don't think people look at it that way. And I think if you say that nowadays, you know, most people will look at you funny because... I think some people see it as like an arrogant thing or or they see it as, you know, it's not really theater, but I think there is a direct correlation. Dude, and, I am I'm a thousand percent agreeing with you on that. Thank you. I always say that that if Shakespeare was alive today, he'd be writing wrestling shows. Yes. Because yeah. wrestling is a modern day morality play. Yeah. There's a good guy, there's a bad guy, you're acting out in front of an audience and they're responding accordingly. Yeah. It's total Shakespeare. Yeah. And I think when I first pitched it, 
all of the professors thought that I was going to fail, which I thought was funny. Interesting. And, yeah. So they didn't I, get it. Yeah. They had, I would say they probably knew wrestling from like Hulk Hogan or like Randy course, Savage. Yeah. Like that was their first impression. So when I returned and I turned in, in my paper, they were highly impressed and I graduated. Get a good mark. Yeah. Get a good grade. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, went back to New York and that was kind of just the beginning. I started training with Ring of Honor. I ended up on television with them. So, you know, it's pretty, I would say, surreal that everything has come full circle. The fact that AEW owns Ring of Honor now. Mm -hmm. So I think it's inevitable that I will show up on uh, Ring of Honor television. One last thing about your, your comparison of wrestling and art. To me, anytime you create something out of nothing, it's art. Yes. If, if we paint a picture on the wall, it's art. If we write a song, you know, write a play, yeah. put together a wrestling match, it's two guys yeah. creating something from nothing. That's the epitome and definition of what art is. So 100%. it's it's no surprise that they didn't get it, but it's also no surprise that you got a good grade because it's pretty academic. You know? Yeah. And I think I was the first person to ever do something like that. And, you know, I started doing Ring of Honor and then I left. So did you train as a wrestler at yes. first? Yes, I so trained as a wrestler. Was, was, was a size ever an issue? Was this kind of the dawning of the smaller guys of the Rey Mysterio era? I would say... Ray Mysterio was like a huge influence to me, but again, I needed to be realistic. If I had decided to pursue being just being a wrestler, we wouldn't be having this conversation because I think to be smaller, you need to be a high flyer or you need to be big enough to where you can kind of be known as like a brawler. Like mm -hmm. I, I didn't fit in any of those characters. Character. Yes. You fit the character side of what wrestling is. Yes. Yeah. And I forgot, I think it was Claudio. I think Claudio was the one who said, Hey, like maybe you should try managing. And I went, Oh yeah. Like that's interesting. And then I met, Larry Sweeney, and then it kind of just sparked this interest, and I went, oh, like, I may actually be able to really do this, and it kind of just grew from there. Let's talk about this. I've been doing this show for almost 10 years, and I don't know if I've ever really talked too much at all, definitely not in-depth about Larry Sweeney, but I've heard so much about him. I never crossed paths with him, but tell, tell us about Larry Sweeney. I know he's not here anymore. I think he he, he, he passed away yes. on his own yes. dime. Uh, but tell us about him because everyone talks about him with such glowing reviews as a as a performer and as a manager or yeah. a wrestler or whatever he was. I don't really know. So please fill me so in. So he was a wrestler. He was a manager. He worked for Chikara. He worked for Ring of Honor. Like he pretty much was everywhere during that time. And he was just one of those people to where he could just walk out uh, with a microphone and everything was just golden. This over the top personality, sweet and sour, you know, 12 large. And I think that, I think the fact that every year on his birthday, you just see tons of people just paying homage to him. Like, I think that says a lot because mm -hmm. I'm sure, as you know, wrestling is so topical, sure. right? Like you do something and the next day it is immediately forgotten or like negated, but Larry Sweeney, like people will remember him forever. And I think it's just, just because of his talent, right? Like if he decided to pursue improv or stand up, you know, he would have been great at it just because he could just think of something mm -hmm. just on the fly. And he was just an incredible charismatic. Was performer. he on the road to going to the big leagues? Or was it? Was I don't know. Or? Cause that was a different time period, mm -hmm. right? Like gotcha. this was like 2000. I met him 2000, uh, 
so I started at Jakara like 2009, mm. but I would say, you know, when I met him, it was like 2010, 2011. So I think that was the beginning of people from the Indies getting gotcha. looks right. or like tryouts. Right, but right, right. if he was still here today, there's no doubt that he would be signed. Signed. So what did you learn from him? You mentioned that he helped you. Just to be over the top. Like that's what a manager or a character is supposed to be. And just a lesson in just like having my wits on me, you know, like I would say another comedian or a performer who I thought was perfect at that was Bernie Mac mm, um, and Robin call. Harris, like Robin Harris, uh, one of his HBO specials, like the first time I saw it as a kid, I was highly impressed because he just looked at the audience and then just started doing bits. Like there was this one guy who was heckling him and he had on uh, like a Jerry curl and Robin Harris said, well, you clearly can't commit a crime because all the police would have to do is follow the drip. Right. And this is just (laughs) on the fly. And so that was Larry Sweeney. He could just think of just this clever witty stuff. And it was just like, it was just nothing to him. So you mentioned a couple stand-up comedians, and that's been some inspiration for you as a manager. In in what way and why? I would say because if you can get in front of hundreds, thousands, and have that command over the entire audience, like I think that is, it's an art form. Mm-hmm. And to be able to go on stage and to deal with hecklers, you know, because everyone thinks that they're funny, right? Or or to or to just have to just think on the fly like it is a crucial skill that i think will help you in any art form i think any place in life Absolutely, it's, yeah. it's just you know it's such a talent it's very similar to what we do as well yeah. because you have the same material same high spots yes but you got to change it a bit according to what the crowd is doing or not yes. giving you or giving you yeah and you never know because it's time right the mic may not work you know and and so comedy has just taught me to just roll with the punches in a completely different way that that wrestling has what did you like about bernie mac bernie mac he was just a genius just super smart like when you go back and watch the kings of comedy right like his entire set there was always one thing that someone could relate to or laugh at and it wasn't a cultural thing it wasn't an age thing it it, he could just come up with material that it didn't matter who you were or where you were from you could laugh at the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well so set a limit when you gamble and stick to it Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What about from a, from a wrestling standpoint? Was there any, once you decided to commit to managing, was there anybody in the wrestling world besides Larry, like anybody mm-hmm. modern, past, that you kind of looked at for inspiration? Bobby Heenan, obviously. Uh, Jim Cornette. What way for Bobby? Bobby just the, he had a different comedic timing with wrestling and i think that is crucial too because i think some comedy can go into wrestling and vice versa but it's a little different and again like he was a genius like everything that he did like it it kind of just withstood the 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 test of time Mm -hmm. kind of like sweeney and that's how good he was i don't like to watch 
a lot of, I would say I watch some wrestling managers, but I try not to watch too much because I think that when you watch a lot of it, you kind of just pick up, you inadvertently take some of what they have, right? Mm -hmm. And so like, I don't want to copy anyone else. I want to be inspired, but I don't want to rip off anyone else. So like, I'll watch it, I'll let it digest, but it's not something that I can really study because I don't want to pick up their um, their habits, mm -hmm. so to speak. So being, being a, a good pro wrestling manager is very hard to do. And once again, it's like, so you're like oh, I want to be a manager. It's like, okay, like there's some DJ from the radio station or yeah. whatever. I could do that. It's like, yeah. there's such there's such a subtleness to it. And you have to be willing to be the, 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 the foil, yes. the, the butt of the joke when yes. need be, and also be super rat bastard serious when you need to yeah. be as well. And it's hard to balance both those lines. Again, it, as you know, a lot of people in wrestling, I think they take themselves too seriously. seriously. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, it's like, I don't mind being the butt of the joke, right? Like Daniel... Brian Daniel said, like, made fun of me having a bald head and the light shining that's off of it. That's why you a hat for a while, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, that's a part of my job. Like, I don't mind looking like an ass. You got to oversell it. Like, who cares? Yeah. But, uh, but, uh, but you as the heel, that's the worst thing you yes, could ever be told. I'm yes, bald. Yes, what? Yes. And it's, you know, you're rubbing this in my face, this guy who has this teeny tiny ponytail, you know? So it's, you know, I don't mind being the, the butt of jokes. Obviously, you know, it stops at like a certain extent, but like, this is what I am here for, right? Like, sure. I, that's the character you're yes. playing on the show. Yeah, right? yeah. Which I think, like you said, with, with the, the people that do take themselves too seriously in wrestling, I mean, dude, we're all part of an ensemble cast. Yeah, 100%. You know, if you're, if you're in acting, and if you're in a sports role, part of a team. And sometimes you have two lines in a scene, sometimes you carry the whole scene, yeah. sometimes you play the whole game, sometimes you play one play. No matter what it is, you got to give it your all and make it work. Because if you do that right, then the team wins. Yes. Then the yes. show is good. Yes. It's about the greater good and not just, right. oh, like, you know, I want to look good. I want to, yeah. you know, be this super strong heel manager. It's, you know, as long as people are are entertained and people like what we are are doing, like, I think my job is done. Sure. So what then when did you where'd you go after Ring of Honor? Because I know you've went to popped around a couple different places. So I went to Evolve and that's when things really started to take off. Because I would say, you know, I know <laughs> he is a controversial figure in wrestling, but Gabe Sapolsky was the first person to say, Hey, I see a lot of potential in you, so I am going to give you this this ball. So I was with TJ Perkins, TJP. And then he left because he was doing the the cruiserweight mm -hmm. classic, and right. so immediately I was put with the the Evolve champion, and that was Thatcher, Timothy Thatcher, and he's made an appearance here, yeah. I think maybe one or two, and I would say that period was probably my most fun time in wrestling, just because it was such an odd pairing. You, you know, you have me, and then you have this this super serious British grappler and we somehow made it work. And I think, well, I think it was because we were this like odd couple. Right. And um, yeah, that lasted for a couple years. But you're his mouthpiece, right? Yes. So that's the reason why. Yeah. yeah. And so that lasted for a couple years. He left and then I, I managed catch point. And then it reached a point to where 
I decided to leave Evolve because I just didn't want to be the guy who was there forever. Mm-hmm. So I left. That's when I started doing comedy. And then I thought to myself, oh, well, let me see if I can go back to acting because I also had a full time job. I was doing marketing for a theater. Oh. So I was kind of juggling all of this. And then I was doing um, MLW at the same time, too. So like my hands were full. And then inevitably, like I just chose wrestling full time. And that was that. So you did. I was going to ask you before if you've ever done stand up. So you did do comedy. Yes, I I started doing stand up in 2018. So how did you approach that? <laughs> I did I did one open mic once when I was about 19, and I did not uh, fare well, shall we say? Well, <laughs> I never went back again. <laughs> well, so I was nervous, incredibly nervous, and like I had a good circle at the time, and I had a lot of friends who were comedians. They had done Comedy Central, they had done SNL, and so I. I wouldn't say that I cheated, but I I leapfrogged over a lot of people in comedy in New York because I had this wrestling background and I knew all these people. So like my first show, like it wasn't an open mic. It was on like a real show and I was the second to last person. Damn. Yeah. And it turned out well. Like I can thankfully say that I have not bombed with any set that I've done. You know, who knows after this podcast, I'll probably (laughs) fail in a few weeks, but um It was a nerve wracking experience. But again, like when you're in front of all these people and you're you're able to make them laugh and to riff and to um, just control the audience, like it's such a a different feeling and like it feels fantastic. It's interesting. So you have to put together how long was your set? So normally the sets are like seven to eight minutes. Right. But you can plan that. But I'm sure, as you know, like a match, you may you may see like the light flashing in the back that says wrap it up. Or you may be told, hey, you have an extra two and a half minutes. Yeah. So I would write a set, but then I would also have just jokes in my head. And then a lot of times, like I would just riff, like I would say my third show, this couple showed up late. And so they sat in the front row and so we just had this back and forth. It was very entertaining. But by the time the back and forth ended, the dude, I would say the dude wasn't happy, but his girlfriend thought that it was thoroughly entertaining. So That's the worst thing you want to do at a comedy show. Either show up late or go to the bathroom yes. during the set. Yeah. Don't do it. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it, it was an incredible experience and that's what made me do it over and over. So and over. what was kind of your, like, what was, what was your style of comedy? My style, I talked about, I would say wrestling. I talked about my personal life. I talked about dating. I talked about failure because I I feel like a lot of people don't talk about how they have failed because it's like some hidden Mm -hmm. secret. But I feel like if you talk about your, your failures, it, it takes away the power, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like you own it. Yes. Yes. You are fully in control of it. And like, I failed a lot, you know, I think that's life. If I, if I didn't fail a lot, I don't think I would be here. So just, you know, letting it out in the, in the open. Once again, you can't take yourself too seriously. If you make yourself the butt of the joke, it's always funny when you go to the yeah, clubs. Yeah. Yeah. I'm one of those guys too. I love going to stand up clubs and I, my wife's like, you're laughing too much. It's like, I'm, 
I want to I want to support the guys. Yes. I will laugh yeah, yeah. at everything. Over the top laugh. Yeah. Whatever. You know what I yeah. mean? Like that's I wish I had an audience of that every night, right? <laughs> yeah. So like I think I think and if you get someone that you know is like, oh, this guy's, you know, at least he's giving it a shot, I will laugh my ass off. So yeah. Yeah. What you're looking for. Yeah, I went to see this was Jill Scott. I think this was three weeks ago, and and right before she got on stage, they sent out an unknown comedian. And I kind of sat back and I'm like, oh no, like how is this going to go? <laughs> Because to your point, everyone was going to the restroom. They were leaving because they they took this as oh this is the the bathroom yeah. break, and this guy had like a ten minute set, and by the end of it, he got a standing That's ovation. Yeah, like yeah. I've I've never seen anything like that in comedy. Like people literally went from we don't want to see this fucking guy mm-hmm. to like oh my god this is amazing, and again he just talked about personal stuff and his set was kind of like bernie mac it was something that everyone could relate to relate to because 10 minutes is a long time a dude. very long time like, you stand on that stage after 30 seconds and if you realize like oh no yes <laughs> you can't just leave you gotta yeah. do something yeah yeah he commanded the audience the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So when you went to MLW, that's I'm assuming when you first connected with MJF. Yes. And kind of how did that come about? So I had done a few shows with Max and that was Limitless. And I think we had we had done, oh, Alpha One. Ethan Page used to run his own company in Hamilton. We did this show in Hamilton and that's how we met because he was from New York. I was in New York and we just rode up together. And um, yeah, we started doing MLW, which was very interesting. I would say MLW is what almost got me in like hot water at work because MLW, they were taping on, I think, a Wednesday. So I would have to take off Tuesday, midday, be gone all day Wednesday, come back early Thursday morning and then immediately go to work. And this would happen, it was like once every two weeks, and then it was like every single week I was having to do that. What were you saying you had to do? I was using vacation, I was using <laughs> sick days, I was coming up with like IBS, all this random, yeah, yeah, and then I ended up hiring an assistant, because I was in charge of like marketing and digital media at that point, so I, I hired an assistant videographer who would like cover for me, and it was a friend of mine, so... Thankfully, you know, it worked out, but, but yeah, it was a lot. So you start getting the, 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 the regular work with MLW. Are yeah. you working on screen, so to speak, with MJF or just the same company together? We were working on screen okay. what a was, little what, bit. What was your angle that you were doing? So the angle, we were just the best of the best, right? Like he didn't need me. I didn't need him, but we were both just two assholes who were good at what we did. And so that's how we were friends. And, and like, we were just pieces of shit. Like, mm-hmm. like that was our gimmick. What is, uh, in your opinion, what makes a good pro wrestling manager or a you know a bad guy pro wrestling? What's the secret to doing it? I think that's a tough question, at least for me to answer. You know, because to be perfectly honest, like I'm not like a Don Callis, right? Like I'm not. I don't view myself at that 
level to where what do those types of guys have that you aspire to then i think i think they have the i think the word is equity and i think they can try new things Mm -hmm. and i think if it if it goes a different route they are able to fix it right away and i think they're also able to get good heat and what i mean by that is it 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 can't be offensive and i know it's you know, I hate to use this term because I think it, it is cliche, you know, quote unquote, you know, PC culture. Right. And like, I think you, you can be a heel, but I think you can't cross that line and nor like nor should you. Right. Mm-hmm. To have someone go home and like feel bad about themselves. But I think that is the difference. And I think it's being entertaining and I think it's being, you know, charismatic. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, too, what you were just saying about PC culture. How do you think that's affected stand-up comedy? Because if you look at, like, talk about, like, black comedians, I mean, Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy, two of my all-time favorites. Yeah. I mean, I listened to Eddie Murphy Delirious the other day, which was the number one, probably, comedy cassette when I was a kid. Yeah. You listen to that now, it's no like, way. I, I, we couldn't listen to that. We could listen <laughs> yeah. to it together, yeah. but I'd be, I'd be scared to laugh. Yeah. And you might be scared to laugh, and he might be, you know what I mean? It's like, it's really kind of affected in some ways for the better but in some ways i think it might have affected it kind of adversely what are your opinions so it's funny that you ask that because when i go back and watch deaf comedy jam or i would even say a little bit of kings of comedy yeah Chappelle too yeah yeah yeah. i mean the the Chappelle show is like a perfect example i feel like that comedy can't be done nowadays but Mm -hmm. i think it's for a reason because it's like a different time period right Mm -hmm. the perfect example if you go back and look at different celebrities twitters right and like the the early 2000s like twitter was wild right Mm -hmm. like 2009 2010 like people were literally saying whatever they want yeah and people go back at that and certain people get canceled or like you know they they're labeled a certain way and i think you know you have to look at it at the context of this was the time period right right? Right. and like it's still shitty like it's still bad but i think it's looking at that and going oh well that's why they said that Mm -hmm. it it may not be right but that's why it was okay to say back then without any repercussions consequences yes Yeah. yeah and like i think my comedy i would say it walks the line right like it's funny stuff, it's topical, it's stuff that's going on today, but my I don't want anyone to go home and feel bad about about themselves or like another situation, you know. Um, yeah, and it's interesting too as as we move on, you know, as a society. Like Faulty Towers is is my one of my all-time favorite shows. It's an English comedy from the 70s. John Cleese plays the biggest asshole called Basil Faulty. It is so funny. I was watching it again the other day. And I've forgotten, like, the, one of the old British guys drops an N-word, and you watch it now, and it's like, oh, my gosh, that is so out of place and so not funny. Yeah, it's terrible. But I wish there was a warning or something just to say, hey, it's coming, because it took me out of the yeah. of the fun vibe of the show, just yeah. this evil, nasty word. I think the perfect example, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a clip to where this clip Chris Rock is talking to, I think it's... Louis C.K. is mm. Jerry Seinfeld, and there's one other guy, uh, Ricky Jarvis. Gervais, yes, Gervais, yeah. Yeah, um, he bases his whole act on Basil Fawlty. By the way, that's his act. This awkward, weird, goofy guy, Ricky Gervais, on the on the Fawlty Towers. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Well, they they're all in this room, and Chris Rock says the N word, 
and then Louis C.K. says it back, and he and like he keeps saying it over and over mm-hmm. and over. And the only person who goes, "Hey, this is is Jerry Seinfeld," mm-hmm. and he just had the wherewithal to where like he just it's like no, like yeah. like under no no circumstances whatsoever. So when that clip is played nowadays, people go, "What were they thinking?" Like Chris Rock and louis ck and i think it's like the same thing like when that clip came out no one really i would say it didn't get that much traction right right right. yeah and i think because it was a wild time period in comedy it was just uncensored like people just said whatever they wanted and now it's like no like louis ck like you're white. You're like the whitest white dude ever from <laughs> yeah, yeah. from New York. It's you like you can't say that exactly. Word, exactly. Right. What are you doing? You know, I, I find like even just to wrap it up, Tarantino movies were like the two the early Tarantino movies in the '90s. Some of the Tarantino like fanatic. It's insane. Throughout. Yeah. The modern ones don't have that because I think you really. I know he was trying to mimic the vibe and the style of the '70s. In the '90s, it was just the tail end of it. In the 2000s, like if you watch Django, it's like, dude, like I, it's enough. Like, yeah, I get it. Yes, yes, you it's know? not. It's not necessary, especially coming from someone like right. like Quentin Tarantino. But again, when Pulp Fiction came out and these other movies, it it, it wasn't that outrage. Right. But now it, it's like, what was he doing? Like, how come it didn't age well? <laughs> yes, you know, how come that outrage wasn't there back then mm-hmm. when there should have been. Mm-hmm. Interesting conversation. I'm glad it went this route, but let's go back to talking about your your career with wrestling. Back to to AEW. I think one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you was your your, your tremendous job uh, when you were working the whole program with Hook, Thank you. which I thought was very well done from beginning to end. Talk about that whole story because now you're finally wrestling a match. Yes, which I didn't realize that you had wrestled a yeah. lot before. Of course, yeah. I'm sure you had, but I saw that match. I was like, oh, this is actually did a pretty good job. So thank you. Yeah, it's it's pretty surreal because I remember watching Taz in ECW, <laughs> right. watching his WWF debut during the Royal Rumble. The garden, yeah. yeah, and years later, I'm wrestling his son. Like, it's just, it's bizarre. Mm-hmm. But I'm very appreciative of that feud from Hook and Taz and just being allowed to do what we did because I think it, you know, it saved us. It kind saved of- Saved your group, you mean? Or? Yeah, yeah. I think we were just- I wouldn't say floundering. Like, I think we were just there. And once it turned into Lee and Big Bill feuding with Hook and Jungle Boy, it was like, oh, now we have a clear cut direction. Mm. And that's when we were kind of empowered to have a little more say, right? And that's when I pulled all the guys aside and said, hey, I think this is the direction we should kind of go in. And I think it worked out like, Hook is a tremendous performer, and I know he was excited to do the match. And it's like, no, dude, like I am excited to to wrestle you. You know, not as you know, there's not a lot of real estate on Wednesdays. Like it's it's hard to get on. Yes, TV, yeah. yes. Tony has hired what 200, 300 <laughs> people. So you know, it's one of those things where you once you're given that that opportunity, like you have to knock it out of the park. And wrestling hook was probably my favorite moments, like out of the past few years. Because you did, I remember there was a promo, a couple promos that I happened to be back there watching that you did. That was all kind of building up. Your hand was hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or was it hurt? That sort of thing. 
But let's talk about putting together the match because it's a very hard hitting match. I mean, obviously he kicked the crap out of you as yeah. he should. Yeah. You got a little bit of offense in there, but kind of was your, your psychology behind that? Well, it's one of those things where obviously hook is, is the future of AEW of professional wrestling. And like, it was my task, my job to make him look like a monster. You know, it was a manager versus a, a legitimate wrestler and so the the psychology was just trying to make him look as good as possible and also like make it entertaining and and to have it it be fun we couldn't do as much as we wanted because i think it was a commission state kansas city so we could we went into the crowd but like we couldn't do as much as we Mm -hmm. wanted to but looking back at it i don't think it needed anything else you know i thought it turned out great and just we got what we wanted when when hook was suplexing me into the guardrail and i could hear everyone lose their shit it was like okay we got him it's a fine line though too though dude because it's like everybody always wants to have a classic as you should but you also have to remember that we've never seen you wrestle here most people don't know you're a wrestler so you can't go out there and be doing you know hurricane runners yeah, off the stage yeah, like you're yeah. you got to be a punching bag and cheat to get the upper hand at different times but he has to kick the shit out of you that's yeah that's what the the, the story warrants yes right i think other people probably would have look, looked at it as as like you said let me get my shit in but that wasn't my job yeah my my moment was just being in the ring that's right and i had that that promo beforehand which i think helped tremendously so it's like i that's getting your shit in yeah exactly exactly and the match is just that's my job is to make him look like this this unstoppable future of aew and i didn't mind you know he could have suplexed me you know eight more times on the guardrail Mm. uh my spine probably doesn't uh (laughs) agree but yeah but when you look at all the great managers when they actually were, you know, coerced into having matches or were tricked into it or somebody loses yeah. to get five minutes with Bobby Heenan yeah. or yeah. Jim Cornette. I mean, those guys were never doing anything other than just getting the crap kicked out of them yeah. and maybe doing some kind of underhanded trick to get, you know, an extra 30 seconds of survival. Yeah. But it's all, you know, you know what the people want to see. Yeah. Uh, right before we went out, I told Taz that I was going to shoot on hook and, <laughs> and pin him clean. And then Taz looked at me with like a death stare. And then he laughed. So if so you would have done moment. that, Taz would have hit the ring. <laughs> Taz would have hit the ring. Hook would have choked me out. Yeah. Yeah. They just would have jumped me in Kansas City. Talk a little bit about your, your actual wrestling career. So what were some of the, the your, your favorite matches that you had as a wrestler, not as a manager in the wrestling ring? I would say my favorite match was wrestling Orange Cassidy. We had a, a cinematic match. It was on. Yeah. Where? It was on IWTV. So for... I, so, so IWTV is like the platform. So they have their own streaming service. Oh, okay. So a lot of the indies, they that is the platform where you can watch their show live, right? It's like, um, it's the independent version of like the network. Gotcha. And so I knew that I was leaving the indies. I was getting signed. So I didn't want to do a farewell tour, any of that stuff. You know, I felt like it was just overdone at that point. Um, also like why do a tour when like you may be back in like six months anyway <laughs> so <laughs> exactly. you know I said oh like what if we do a Grammy street fight because the Grammys were coming up so we did a, a quote unquote street fight in LA as the Grammys were going on I think during their intermission and I think it was like a $5,000 shoot which wow. thank God I convinced uh, IWTV to like 
foot the bill. Thank you, Jerry. Um, <laughs> and it was just. What'd you guys do? So we fought in an empty um, garage, and then we went into the basement of this like red building, and then like I tried to like set him on fire. Like it was just this crazy thing. Like I told him I was gonna send him to hell in the elevator. Gotcha. And the finish was like him giving me uh, the attitude adjustment on like a bunch of rolling chairs. <laughs> and, then, and then I like tap out. Um, yeah, it was just it was just a lot of fun. And people still talk about it to this day. So last few things for you. So now that you finished the hook feud, what's the next step for for you, Stokely, here in AW and for the firm? The firm still is a is a group Well, we have this final deletion match. Ah, you're talking yeah, about that. Yeah, I so about that. It, Again, it's one of those surreal moments. Like, I remember being a kid, like, with my brother. I think it was Backlash 2007. We saw the Hardy Boys. I think they were wrestling. I think it was, like, Edge and Randy Orton. I may have that a little off, but they were on the show. We saw them at, like, SummerSlam 2000. So, to be a a grown-ass man and to, (laughs) you know, work with them and to, like, to be going against them. It's Matt. It's Jeff. It's Hook. Uh, I feel like I'm oh Isaiah Cassidy against the firm. It's it's the first oh wow eight, uh, eight man tag at the Hardy compound. So uh, if we lose, apparently the firm will be deleted. So that's that's the uh, <laughs> that's the catch. Yeah. So that's a full on at the Hardy compound. Yeah. The whole deal. Yeah. It's exciting. Yeah. It's it's great. I've I'm sure most people have seen most of the Hardy compound matches. You know, I saw it when he was doing it at, at impact. And so again, years later to be a, a part of one, to yeah. be able to actually wrestle like Matt and Jeff Hardy is just, it's so wild. And like, I try not to think about those things until afterwards. Same thing with that promo with, with Brian, same thing with working with you. Like now, like I try not to think about it. Cause if I did, it would just, <laughs> just I think my, right. yeah, my brain would just like short circuit. When is that match? The, the deletion. So we, we are filming it next week next thursday so uh i'm not sure when it will air yeah yeah last two questions for you you mentioned being an actor what's your favorite part that you've ever played this was years ago i was in grad school and like i can't remember the play but basically i was playing um it was a guy who god i wish i could remember the play was from france and it was like adapted and it was made into like english obviously but that was a lot of fun Cause it was all my, you know, peers, um, from grad school watching and, and booing me appropriately. <laughs> um, I would say this wasn't anything I was in directly, but one of my internships, I worked on this play that was called the first breeze of summer by Leslie Lee. And that was a part of the Negro ensemble, um, Negro ensemble series. And, I just was around just all these incredible actors. And then towards the end, like I wasn't really an understudy, but I was able to like give lines. And like, mm. I think I had that whole play memorized. So that was probably, I would say like my top experience. Do you, do you, you want to do more acting in the future? I would love to, I would love to. Um, you know, stage I, acting is a lot different. You know, movie acting, you can take 15 takes and you learn each scene at a time. But stage yes. acting, you got to know the whole play. Yes. And I would say it's very similar to theater because mm-hmm. obviously it's just one take, right? Like you just go out there and do it. I think the big difference is 
with theater, you don't know how you're doing until it's over. <laughs> yeah. And even then, you may just get like the yeah, pity yeah. applause. Yeah, they're, not, they're not giving yeah. you pops when you deliver a yeah, good line, right? Yeah. So you have to wait until the reviews come out and then you'll know. With wrestling, <laughs> it's like instant. Like you sure. know how well you're doing. That's you know? right. Yeah. And last question for you is there, is there a favorite promo that you've done? here or, or elsewhere because you do have a comic element to you thank you um, I can always think of ones that made me laugh of things that I've done but is there one that stands out for you or serious or either one I would say it's like head to head I would say one it was working with Brian and it was the raggedy bitch promo to be backstage with Brian and say hey man I'm gonna call you this after you you know <laughs> after you say that my head is shiny it was that and I would say the promo before the hook match because that was just so absurd and the fact that I was allowed to do that you know have like a wing stop receipt that said you know he's sick on it you oh, know that's what it was. Yeah, 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 the, yeah the wing stop said you couldn't make the match or yeah, whatever it was. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. in know, the ring you yes, did that I remember. yes yeah, absurd yeah. but like you know where else could i have sure done that but it was a lot of fun you know it it yeah so those the two. wing the wing stop receipt was a nice touch thank you thank you yeah <laughs> but and i owe that to bryce rimsberg because we were talking about it and like i was gonna give it to justin roberts but again, it's this is the best part about AEW is that we kind of just workshopped how this would work from, you know, the the camera being behind Justin Roberts and Bryce, like just just Bryce and Justin made it the the masterpiece, you know, that, that, it, was. that it was. Yeah. Well, dude, it's been great getting to talk to you and great getting to know you. And I look forward to many big things from Stokely Hathaway. Awesome. My Thank favorite you. named wrestler. <laughs> Thank you for the opportunity. <laughs>